You are listening to the Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast. This series is called Moving Day, where we're taking a look at how the Holy Spirit moves us out to advance God's kingdom. Good morning. Uh, some of you, most of you, probably all of you figured out I'm not Shane. He didn't get stung by like a really big bee. Uh, I'm a completely different person. Uh, we are so glad to have you all here. Uh, we've been talking about reaching unreached people that we should do it, um, what to do, but we, ha- we haven't really talked about how we're going to do that. That's what we're doing today. We're talking about how we reached unreached people. Even here in the Bible Belt, the amount of unreached people is overwhelming to me oftentimes. Um, so how, how do we live out our mission at Crosspoint to stream non-fans to Christ? We're talking about practical application again. What's the process? Now, we don't have a 12-step program uh, of disciple-making, but by following Paul's example in Acts, we figure out how we do this. We start by figuring out what our mission field is and including God in, in, in what we're doing. That's exactly what the disciples did. Is it God's idea? Okay, that's the first like main point of this morning. Is it God's idea? The Spirit moved the group to send Barnabas and Paul out, but they made sure that it was God's idea first. Remember last week when Shane was talking to us about uh, taking time to listen to God when we, we felt the Spirit move with us, right? Sometimes God doesn't want you to go to Africa. He just wants you to give money to people who are going to Africa. We understand the, the, the difference there. A lot of times we jump right in. We feel like the Spirit's calling us to do something, and so we hit it 100 miles an hour, and that's not a bad thing. There's something positive to say about that, But oftentimes when we do that, we miss out really on what God wants from us. So that's where we have to start. We include God in everything we do. God will determine our mission field. That's the precursor really for every decision we make. Does God want me to do this? Did he ordain it? If so, we don't want anything to do with that. Why? Because it's not going to succeed. It will most likely end up failing. You know, when it came time for me to choose uh, college, as I was graduating high school, um, I made pretty good grades. I had pretty good test scores. I, I could have went pretty much anywhere I, I would have wanted to go. Uh, but I didn't include God in that at all. I ended up going to jury the first year because my grandpa graduated there and it was a prestigious school and that's just where I wanted to go. And my major was engineering. I wanted to be an engineer because I figured I could get my degree and then go to seminary later. I could still preach and still make money. <laughs> That was my thought process, but I didn't include God in that at all, and I was miserable. For an entire year of school, I was miserable. I never went to school. Thank goodness they didn't have an attendance policy. I would have failed all of my classes. Um, I switched major after major after major. Nothing made me happy until I included God in that. I started to pray about it. God, I didn't include you in this. I'm sorry for that. What do you want from me? Eventually, I ended up moving to Evangel, where I had one of the best experiences of growth in my life. It was a constant challenge day to day of me figuring out what my beliefs were and and how that matched up with what God had to say and where I needed to mold to to God's will. Um, And it was just an overall great experience. Well, that's what the apostles did with everything they did as well. They included God. They prayed about it. Acts 13.2 states that as they were ministering to the Lord and as they were ministering, To the Lord, they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who we know as Paul, 
for the work that I have called them to. If we look back through Scripture, Moses listened to God when he was called. It took some prodding, right? He wasn't a huge fan of what God wanted him to do, but eventually he listened and it succeeded. Jonah failed until he listened. David slayed Goliath when he listened to the Spirit, but then completely ignored the Spirit with Bathsheba and ended up like causing a horrible chain of events. Murdered people, uh, famine in the land, lots of people died because of that decision, because he didn't include God in what it was that he wanted to do. When we include God in our plans, we lay the groundwork to be successful in what we do. Matthew 6.33 tells us that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Whenever we put God's wills first, everything else seems to fall in place. Have you ever noticed that in your life? When you actually pay attention to what God wants from you, everything else just seems to try to take care of itself. That's how it always has been, at least in my case. One of the things that's going to help us find our mission field is understanding that our mission field is literally all around us. It is everywhere. Again, we may be called to go somewhere, some foreign land far away, but there's no need for that because our mission field is right where we are at today. The disciples were intentionally missional, and it was pretty easy for them because that was like their job. Their job was literally to go and disciple. They reached out to people wherever they were, and they served whoever was there. And that meant that regardless of race or occupation or economic standing or other people's opinions about the person or any other differentiating factor, they served that person and those people. Your mission field is wherever you're at working with whoever is there. Whether it's the football field or the classroom or a hospital, Fortune 500 or flipping burgers, we are, into, we are to include God in everything that we do. And understand that while he may call us to go to Africa or he may call us to give our life over to the ministry, he may also call us just to be a plumber who serves the people the best we can that we come across. And there's no shame in that. God calls each and every one of us to do what it is we are doing. And we need to be paying attention to his will for our lives. When we include God, we understand that regardless of what obstacle comes in to our path, whatever roadblock we might face. We know that, hey, if we're including God in this, he's going to have our back. If we make the decision to be intentionally missional, we're going to see a change in our world. We're going to see a change in Republic. When we make the effort to go say hello to the person that looks downtrodden, uh, wherever that may be, to, to check on somebody at Walmart to see if they're okay, to pray for a random person that you just came across, you don't, may not even have to say anything to them, but just being open to the fact that God may call me to speak to that person or this person or that person, wherever I may go, helps us to be prepared for that opportunity when it comes. Deciding on our mission field is not the end. The decision is not the end. Following Paul's example in Acts 13.3, which states that after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. They prepared themselves for what was about to take place. We have to prepare our mind and our body and our soul to reach out to people. It takes effort. You need to pray for yourself. 
You need to pray for the people that you come in contact with. You need to pray for the Spirit to act. Understanding that when we prepare ourselves, we're actually ready to talk to people. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-22, Paul tells us that we should rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things, hold on to what is good, and stay away from every kind of evil. If we can take that mindset into all our interactions with unreached people, with non-fans, we're going to find ourselves in a good place. Because our next step in reaching unreached people is growing the Spirit's audience. See, everywhere Paul went, he ran into people who had heard about Jesus, had heard about what the Spirit was doing. But he always needed more. He understood that he couldn't reach everyone by himself. So he had to make disciples who could make disciples. Don't we want to follow that example? We as Crosspoint want to make disciples who can make disciples, knowing that we as a group can't do this huge job all on our own. As we stream non-fans to Christ, we want them to be able to stream other non-fans to Christ. We do this by continually introducing Jesus to those who have already heard and introducing Jesus to those who haven't heard for the first time. And we begin the introduction by furthering the conversation. Okay, Acts 19, 2a, Paul asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul isn't afraid to ask questions. Why? Because he is prepared to give them answers. He's prepared to discuss with people that he's never met. Another important thing that Paul does is listen. We have to. We need to listen. People don't like getting preached at when they don't sign up for it. And oftentimes they don't like it when they do sign up for it, right? Let's be honest. This probably isn't like the most fun time of your week. But it serves a purpose. And if we pay attention to what's being said, maybe, just maybe, through this <laughs> babbling fool that I sometimes can be, you can hear what God wants for you. That's what we need to be focused on. Think about it. Do you like a know-it-all? common sense. Do you only like to hear one side or one perspective on any issue? No, right? So don't be that person. We have something that we see as so precious, as so powerful that we just want to hammer it home to people. We want them to understand. We want them to get it. We want them to know who Jesus is. But if we never take the time to listen to them, how can we expect them to listen to us? Also important to learn from Paul is that he builds on previous information. There's a scene from Kung Fu Panda where Poe is chosen as the dragon warrior. Have you guys seen this movie? Maybe, possibly. Okay, so he's starting to learn. He has to learn Kung Fu because he's the dragon warrior and he knows nothing. And Master Shifu, who is like his karate teacher. <laughs> sensei. Yeah, Sensei. My, sorry, I'm not in the karate world. <laughs> sensei says to him, Okay, dragon warrior. Go. Like he wants him to do this crazy obstacle course. And Paul's like, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. And he's like, maybe we should start at level zero. And it's okay to start people at level zero if they have no knowledge base. But here in this great land of the belt of the Bible, (laughs) 
everybody has some knowledge base. Everybody usually has somewhere to start. And when we start somebody at a zero, but they're really at a two, it's frustrating and patronizing to that person because we're treating them like, ooh, we know so much and you know so little. So part of that conversation is figuring out what they know, what their knowledge base is, what, what are their feelings about things, and building on top of that. What we want for the people we come across is the same thing that Paul wanted from believers, uh, for believers in Colossians 1, 9 through 13, which states, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge, uh, with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. What we really want for non-fans, for unreached people, is to grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of Christ and in the knowledge of Spirit with the confidence knowing that if they do, they'll become fans. During this whole process, people are going to have, they're going to have questions, not half something. They're going to have questions. And it's our job to provide clarity. Remember in 9, Acts 19.2a, he asked them, have you... Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In 19b, they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a spirit. Paul goes on to explain that John's baptism, the baptism that they had received, was one of repentance. But even John himself looked to Jesus as the future coming Redeemer. And so that they needed to participate in this new baptism to receive what Jesus had for them. We need to take things to that next step and explain misconceptions. People have questions. Do I need to say that again? If you've grown up in church or you've spent a lot of time around people who have been in church, certain ideas may not seem that strange to you or that weird to you, but coming from an unreached person or an outsider's perspective, things like communion and the Trinity and resurrection and immaculate conception, some dude walking on water, giants, creation, angels, these things seem really strange. And so we need to take the time to work with them to get through these things, to understand these things. Some of these things we don't even explain that well. We don't even know that well. We take on faith, and they need to know that at times. Listen, I don't really understand how that happened. I don't understand how Mary as a virgin gave birth to the Son of God. But the Bible says that it happened, and because of my experience with God, because of the things I've been through, I trust that. That's my faith. That's where that comes in. They need to know these things. They do. We can't always expect people to just accept it because they've heard it for the first time. You guys get what I'm saying? It, it's foreign to them. It is strange to them. They're going to have real questions, and they need real answers. We need to be willing to discuss because they need to know that Jesus, that dude that walked on rock water, is a real dude. He's a real guy. That he was the son of God. That he died on a cross and he rose again because he loves us and he wants us to conquer death too. 
But we need to explain to them what that means to them and not just expect them to automatically get it or get frustrated when they have questions because nothing will turn them off quicker than somebody who just wants to beat them over the head with a subject and expect them to believe it. Take it at face value because that's what I said. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. We need to show people the real Jesus. The only Jesus that most people see is, is the Jesus that you show them. How does that sit with you? You are the reflection to the world of who Jesus is. So what Jesus do they see? Think about that. Do they see the real Jesus? Or do they see judgmental Jesus? Do they see hateful Jesus? Do they see rude Jesus? Do they see poor tipper Jesus? Do they see self-absorbed Jesus? Do they see stuck-up Jesus? We really have to be careful. Uh, we are really careful about the people we associate with, right? I mean, if we really think about that. There are some people that you are friends with or you know in your life that you will not try to get a job at your work. We can all relate with that because we know that their behavior, good or bad, is going to reflect on us and we really don't trust them. Look at that from Jesus' perspective. Would he really want to claim us? Would he really want to be like that person's mind? We have to fix this. We have to clear these things up. And we need them to understand, unreached people, non-fans of Christ to understand that we need to be better. Yes, yes we do. But you know what? We are not Jesus either. So we are imperfect and we will make mistakes. And while we're not Jesus, we are redeemed by him. And that's what we're talking to you about. We're talking about redemption. We're talking about forgiveness. We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about you never making mistakes. We're talking about you working toward the kingdom. Working toward being like Christ. Jesus didn't condemn people. If you read the Bible, he did not condemn people. He condemned behavior. He condemned behavior. He loved people. He spent time with people. He built relationships. He spent time with prostitutes and tax collectors and thieves and adulterers. And while the Bible never explicitly says that, I'm sure that he spent some time around homosexuals. We're called to spend time among unreached people, regardless of their background. And you know what Jesus did that was so awesome and so powerful? When he left these people, he left them with hope and with love and with well wishes and oftentimes transformed. Jesus was able to transform people because he spent time among those people. We need to be among people who haven't heard. We have to be. Paul lived his life among people, unreached people. And you know what? He looked to serve them first. That was his goal. That's what he wanted to do. As Christians, I think we sometimes forget that we're supposed to live in the world. We, we separate ourselves so much that I really think oftentimes we do ourselves a, a disservice because we risk being out of touch. In 1 John 2.15, uh, it states that we are not to love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. John 17.11 tells us that Jesus is praying for his disciples. Why? Because he was leaving them in the world. 
And when he sent his disciples out, he sent them into the world. He didn't just say, go to where you're accepted. Go to where people love you. He said, go to these places, tell them about who I am, about what I've done, and then if they reject you, if they despise you, if they want nothing to do with you, shake the dust off your sandals and move on. But don't just skip over them because they may not be somebody who loves you or they may not be your biggest fan. We're to reach out to everybody. Matthew 10, 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus knew the struggle. He just went through the struggle. He understands the obstacles that we face, the persecution, the isolation. He's sending us out into a world that ultimately killed him. So let's not think for a minute that he doesn't understand. Well, he, I know he wants me to do this, but it's just too rough. He doesn't get what it's like. How's that work? That, that's blown to smithereens. We don't get to use that excuse because Jesus spent his entire life in a world that despised and rejected him, ultimately killed him. And when he came back from the dead and was spending time in the world, not just a matter of days, but there for a, a month or more, I don't know the exact time, and I apologize for that, but he was here. And even after he was here, and hundreds, if not thousands of people saw him, they still said, well, that guy is not who he says he is. He's not real. He's of Satan. And even though this world killed him, he sent them anyways. Why? Why do that? Because the only way that we reach the unreached is if we're out there living among them. You cannot stream a non-fan to Christ if all your friends are fans of Christ. Not possible. If the only relationships that you have are with people who are fans of Jesus, you will never stream somebody who's not a fan of Jesus to Jesus. Common sense, right? So we're to be out there in the world. And we need to be there because we have to build relationships with unreached people. Building relationships is the key to reaching non-fans. In Acts 19, 8 through 10, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them and he took disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. We can't expect instant gratification. Does it happen? Sometimes. Is it likely? No, not really. Very rarely are you going to find somebody that you speak with Jesus about and they just instantly believe. That's why Paul spent two years among these people. He spent two years in Ephesus because he had to be with the people every single day. He had to build relationships with them. He made himself known to them and he was persistent. And we need to be persistent. Again, two years Paul spent with these people. Not only is it naive to expect instant change, but it's also foolish to give up after a first rejection. You may begin a conversation with somebody or uh, start to build a relationship with somebody and when you first bring up the topic of Christ, they may 
reject you right after the beginning. Well, listen, I understand that that's what you believe and I respect that, but that's just not for me. We could stop there. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to continue to build relationship with those people, continue to love those people, continue to look for opportunities to have conversations about Christ. Acts 5.41 tells us that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They had just been beaten and rejected, and this is their response. Man, wouldn't it be great if we had this response? Wouldn't it be great if when we were rejected, if when people isolated us, when people denied what we believe, that we could take that from a joyous standpoint and just understand that God is working in that. He's working in that situation. But instead, we often tuck our tails between our legs and we run. We're out of there. Or, in worst case scenario, we don't even make the attempt due to the fear of people's reactions in the first place. So we don't even try to build those relationships. We don't even try to have those conversations. We want to be liked and we don't want to offend people and we don't want to be pushy, but we also don't want to be pushed away. And we don't want God to be pushed away. There's a way that we can find a balance between the two. To be liked, to have relationships, to have friends that aren't Christians and still speak with them about Christ. That way is building relationships. If we just want people to have salvation, if that's all we want, relationship building can take a back seat to evangelism. We can just go tell random people about Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants what's best for you. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. But I'm saying that that shouldn't be all we do. If we want to make disciples who can make disciples, we need to focus on building relationships. One of the main reasons that we build relationships is because we want to lead people to change. We need to lead people to leave their old lives behind. We don't want to tell them. We let the Spirit transform them, transform them, but we do lead them. That's where the relationship comes in. We're not sending people through a 12-step program. It's not like, hey, do this, 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 and this, and cured. We all know it doesn't work that way. We struggle on a daily basis, sometimes to do what seems like in our minds the most simple things that Christ wants us to do. But we still have those struggles. We still have those bumps in the road. And we're not ordering them to change either. That's not what we want. That's not what God wants. That's why God gave us free will. He could have had just a bunch of sheep that he played with and moved here and moved there and did everything for us and, and, and pushed us in the direction we're supposed to go. But he gave us free will to choose, to live our lives the way that, that, that we deem best. He wants us to choose him, not to be forced into choosing him. We want the word of God and the Holy Spirit to work. At this point, we've sought the Spirit's guidance and we've helped further the conversation with those who have and haven't heard. We've, we've placed ourselves among non-believers. Now we need to let the Spirit work. We need to trust God to do what it is that God says He's going to do. In Acts 19, 6 through 19, 
the people's experience changed them. What happened there, if, if you've read that, or if you haven't read that, these people who have heard what, what Paul has been preaching tried to release a demon from a man who was demon-possessed. And what they said was, in, in the name of Paul's Jesus, like in the name of, of, of the man that Paul speaks of, we, we condemn you to come out, or we command you to come out. But they had no relationship with Jesus. So what happens is they end up getting attacked by this demon-possessed man. He overpowers them, and they end up running from the house buck naked. Can you imagine what kind of impression that would make? These people, their experience changed them. When people heard about this, they realized, wow, look at the power that Jesus has. That when you have relationship with Jesus... He works on your behalf. When you have a relationship with God, He works on your behalf. This never happened to Paul. Paul never got beat up and chased out of any place naked. But these people who didn't know Christ, they tried it, and it didn't work for them. And so they, they left their old lives. Those who had practiced witchcraft and wizardry and spent time at Hogwarts. I'm sorry, that was my nerd coming out. They, they left that, that world behind. They got rid of their spell books. They, they, they burned them all, and they decided, you know what? I'm going to give this Jesus thing a shot. We have to avoid damning people. Jesus' example was followed by Paul. He addressed sin, but he avoided damning people because he understood that only God has that right. We're talking about eternal judgment, eternal damnation, whether you go to heaven or you go to hell. We don't have that right. Only God has that right. So we need to make sure that we don't take part in that, acting like it's in our power to tell people where they're going to end up. We don't damn the person, we damn the behavior. What did they do? What did Jesus do? If we look in John 8, 3-11, very famous story. The Pharisees bring this woman before Jesus, right? And they say, she has been accused of adultery. The law of Moses says that we should stone her. We should kill her. What do you say? What they wanted is for Jesus to say, no, 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 don't stone her. And then that way they could say, he's not following Jewish law, trap him, imprison him, get him killed a little quicker. What Jesus did was kneel down in the sand and begin to write. He looked up at him and he said, you know what? Which of you is without sin? Cast the first stone. Gone. Smoke. No longer there. He asked the woman, he says, is anybody here to condemn you? Which Did they condemn you? No, they didn't. Neither do I. But go and sin no longer. Don't sin anymore. I love you. I want what's best for you. I'm not condemning you, but I am condemning your behavior. I want you to move on past that. I want you to grow beyond that, understanding that this is not what God wants. From that day forward, that young lady's life was never the same because where she was supposed to have been met, met with death and with judgment, she was met with grace. How do you meet people? How do you meet people that you don't agree with? What do you have to say to those people when they're living a lifestyle that you don't like? 
You walk on by, you turn your nose up in the air, you thank God that you're not that bad, or do you take the time to figure out why they are the way they are? What makes them tick? What makes them choose their behavior? And to build a relationship with them. Because that's what we're supposed to do. And as we let people's experiences change them, and we're part of that experience, we need to support what we say with Scripture. What do I mean by that? I mean explaining why you make the choices that you make. Why do you live the way that you do? What influences you? Well, why don't, why don't you lie? Well, the Bible says very clearly that I'm not supposed to lie, and I've found that that works best for me. I like to be trusted. I, I appreciate honesty. Why don't you cheat? Well, I kind of equate that to lying, and, and again, the Bible says I shouldn't do that. Why don't you steal? Why do you treat people the way you do? Well, the Bible tells me that I should treat others the way that I want to be treated, and I wouldn't want to be yelled at or belittled or looked down upon, so I don't want to do that to you. Why do you have hope? Look at the world. Look all around you. Look how awful it is. People are killing people. People don't care about people anymore. Nobody waves to anybody more on the street. Well, I have hope because I realize that this corrupt world isn't the end for me. That because of what Christ did, because He loves me, because of the fact that He laid down His life to bring forgiveness for all the wrong, horrible, corrupt things that I've done, I get to move on to a better place. And so that's why I have hope. Why are you so happy all the time? Because I have Jesus. Let me show you why this makes me happy. What's the point of doing this? What's the point of including Scripture? The point of it is showing God's influence in our lives. We're, we're pointing to the benefits of doing it God's way and shedding light on how the Spirit has worked in us. We use our experiences to open up unreached people to having the Spirit work in them. Does that make sense? We want it to not be a foreign idea. This is how God has worked with me. This is how the Spirit has worked with me. He can work with you in this way too. And lastly, we need to relate with their struggle and we need to pray for them. We understand the struggle because we all have dealt with sin in the past. We all deal with sin currently. Again, going back to Christ's example in John 8, 3 through 11. We know what it's like to be the person on the other side of the stone. We all know what it's like to feel like no one cares about me, no one loves me. I'm not worth anything. We also know what it's like to receive love. We also know what it's like to be cared about. We also know what it's like to have Jesus tell us, I don't care about your past. I don't care about what you've done. I love you. Your mistakes, your sins, your struggles, we're going to work on that. But know that I love you. Live your life for me. We want them to be open to that possibility. Paul understood the struggle. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. He states that three times he pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We were all once in the same place. We were all once on on the wrong side of the tracks, if you will. We're all once in that same place. And you know what? We should pray that once again we find ourselves in the same place. Cloaked by the grace of God. Because that's what God wants. As the band comes up and prepares to play our final song, and we enter into a time of reflection. There's a couple things we need to reflect on. What, what does God's message today do for you? Is there something he's saying to you? Is there something that he wants you to improve on? Do you have a relationship with God? If you don't, today's the day to start. I'll be in the back. We'll have some others in the back. Come talk to us. Understand that God loves you. God wants what's best for you. And he's going to work with you through any struggle, anything that you deem ungodly. Anything that makes you feel unworthy. God loves you regardless. So as we think about that, we think about what God wants from us as non-believers and as believers. Just pray about that in this time of reflection and pay attention to what God wants from you. Thank you for listening to the Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast. You can find us on Facebook by searching My Crosspoint.